Good morning. <laughs> I am blessed to see all of you today. If you are here at Hosanna for the first time or for the first time in a long time, uh, whether you're here in the room or online, we want to say welcome to all of you. So glad you're here to worship with us today. For those of you that may not know, I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we're going to be looking at what it means to be a child of God and what that results in in our life. You know, I think every Christian believer should endeavor to live according to three very important biblical truths. The first one is what we are. The second one is what we shall be. And the third one is what we then should be. Biblically, what we are is God's children. And that's a huge truth. What we shall be, according to the word of God, is conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ at his return. So then what we should be on the basis of those two things now here on this earth is to be people who live pure lives. You know, through this letter and through all of John's letters, uh, John is very fond of speaking of the Christian life and the Christian um, experience as uh, a family. He uses family terms over and over again to refer to us and our relationship to Jesus. If you remember, John was the one that recorded the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And he told Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And like I said, throughout his letters, John would often um, refer to salvation, the concept of our salvation in metaphorical terms, using these family ideas as the new birth. Our salvation is the new birth. Our salvation is being born into the family of God. When we are saved, we become children of God. And, and I think family is indeed a, a great metaphor to use for the Christian life and for salvation specifically because we know biblically, Christians, we have God as our father. He is our father in heaven and we have become part of his family through the sacrifice of his son. In our previous study, in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2 of 1 John, we looked at um, these verses as transition verses. As John is writing this letter of 1 John, he's transitioning from the concepts of fellowship, the concepts of biblical koinonia, the concept of keep your fellowship with God solid and good. He's transferring from that idea into this concept of being a child of God. And in verse 29, he uses the term born for the first time in this letter in reference to our salvation. That as Christians who have given our life to Jesus, trusted in him for our salvation, he calls it being born of him, born of God. And so from this point forward, we're looking at verses one through three in chapter three this morning. But from chapter three, verse one forward, he's gonna refer to our salvation in this concept of being born of him eight more times eight more times, and so it's a very important theme that he's developing, and then on top of that, from chapter three, verse one forward, his focus of the entire rest of the letter is going to be on what it means to be in the family of God, what it means to be a child of God, and all that that, that phrase brings to our lives, and so what it means to be in the family of God refers to these three things that John deals with and that we're gonna be looking at this morning, what we are, what we shall be, and what we should be. Collectively, these three truths are, are what being a child of God is all about. They're really the foundation that we build a God-honoring life from. And so they're, 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 they're so critical to our understanding, so critical to our living, because as we seek to glorify our Father and bring honor to his name, 
We want to do that as his kids, as his children. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But uh, as we do every week before we get to the word, we want to praise his name. We want to glorify him as his kids, to call out to him as Abba Father and say, Daddy, we love you so much. And we're so thankful and so grateful for what you've done. And we do that in worship and we do that in praise. So please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. You are our Father in heaven. You're our dad. And Lord, in this world, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad examples of what fatherhood is. And some of us have been recipients of those bad examples. But Lord, you are the perfect example of what a father is. And Lord, we are called your children. We are called your kids. Lord, and that means a lot. And so, Lord, this morning as we are gathered here together to to look at what what you said about being your children is, what it's all about, what it means, the result it should have in our lives today as we wait for your return, God. Speak to us, Lord. Speak right into the core of our being and encourage us that we would live and walk as children of God, that we would move through this world as children of God, and that we would be children that bring honor and glory to your name. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we are gonna be in 1 John chapter three, looking at verses one through three this morning, and so um, I'd just like to read the verses uh, collectively for context, and then we'll dive back through and, and dig in. So 1 John chapter three, verse one. He says, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you memorize verses, these are three good ones to memorize, right? These are foundational to our lives as Christians and our walk as Christians. You know, he starts out, as I mentioned earlier, there's three things he deals with in this section. What we are, what we shall be, and what we should be. And so he opens up here in this first verse, verse one, of what being a child of God begins with. Being a child of God begins with what we are, or who we are, if you wanna put it that way. You notice there he opens up with the word see. See what great love the Father has given us. If you have a, a different translation, maybe New King James, it might say, behold what great love the Father has given to us. This word see, this word behold, it means to ponder to study, to concern oneself with, to think about, to intently dwell upon, is this idea here. In our modern slang, we might say, I see you, right? In our modern vocabulary, we go, I see you. That means I I get it. I'm, I'm paying attention. I see what's going on, right? It's a word that John uses us to, to, to get us to stop for a moment, and intently reflect upon how great, how glorious the Father's love for us is. And we need to do that sometimes. You know, I don't know about you, 
but life is, is a lot. It's busy. There's always something, right? Um, Friday morning, I got up, and, and, and I, I remember I woke up, and I was like, Lord, what are we going to do today? Kid you not, 30 seconds later, I get a phone call. <laughs> hey, Pastor Nathan, can you drive up to camp and help us drive kids home? You know, one of our leaders had to leave early for a reason. I'm like, well, I guess that's what I'm doing today. And I uh, got up and hour and a half up to the mountains and an hour and a half back and stopped for lunch with the kids. And I, man, I can't tell you how blessed I was with that. It's been a long time since I had any physical participation in a youth camp. And I was like, man, I miss this. This is, this is cool. And then I'm just like, Lord, you're, you're, you're so awesome. You're such a blessing. And, and, and as I was driving, it was just this moment to, to stop and to get away from everything and just to go, God, how awesome you are. You know, we stopped at Del Taco, and the guy goes, oh, are you guys a church group or something? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm buying lunch for all the kids. He gives us a discount. I'm like, God, you're so awesome. Discounted Del Taco, thanks for that. But sometimes we need to just take a moment and to set aside the worries or the stresses or, the, or just the stuff, the things we got to do, and just go, wow, God loves me. God loves me. And he says, behold, see how great, how glorious is God's love. And we go, well, how great, how glorious is it? He goes, well, that we should be called God's children. Not God's servants. Not God's acquaintances. Not God's subjects. God's children. His kids. He wants us to think about that, dwell on it. We are God's children by faith. And what's interesting is, is as much as John refers to Christians as God's children, and he does that a lot, as I've mentioned, Paul the Apostle, in his writings, he always refers to um, us as sons of God, different phrase. Right? John says we're God's children or children of God, and Paul the Apostle always calls us sons of God. You know, and it's interesting because both are absolutely true, but what's the difference? Well, that term sons of God that Paul uses a lot is more of a, a legal term. It, it's, it's more of a term describing our relationship status, the status of our relationship with God um, through Christ. And, and the idea of, of Paul calling us sons of God is that we've been legally declared his sons were legally his kids through adoption, which means that we are legally in the place to inherit everything that, that he wants to give us in the inheritance as his children, right? So when Paul talks about sons of God, he's always talking about our status before God, our legal status, if you will. We're adopted into the family. But, but John, he uses this term children. And in the original language, the word children refers more to our origin or our likeness, the family likeness that we have, the characteristics that we have being born of him. Do you understand the difference? One is the legal status. You're legally his kids, and so therefore you have available to you everything you're legally uh, uh, um, uh, obligated to have. And the other one is like, now you're just like him. You have his likeness. You bear his name. You bear his characteristics. And, and those things are typically um, things that we see that come from a biological birth, a biological connection, right? Um, not so much that you're declared, but, but when you're born of somebody, you know? If you've had children born into your family, whether they were yours or friends or brother, sister, or somebody, you, you remember the day 
right? The day they were born, those, those, that moment or those first few days when they, when they came into the family, you know, the family's gathered, there's excitement, there's, there's you know, generally this, this, this just, just joy of, of, oh no, a new one is here, you know, and oh great, this is so wonderful. Well, what is the most, one of the most common topics of conversation after a new birth? Look, they have their daddy's eyes. Look, they have their mommy's nose, right? And for days and weeks after that, oh, their little toes and their dimple, right? It, it's, you're focused in on the characteristics, the likeness that that baby has after those that they were born of. And then, of course, as they grow, it becomes, they got their stubbornness from, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but we won't go there. This is the concept John is bringing up when he says, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. See what great love he has given us that we would be people who would bear the likeness of God. That through bearing his name would be people who who carry the very characteristics of God into this world by how we live and how we treat one another. If we're part of the family of God, then we should bear some of the likeness, some of the characteristics of the one who bore us. Or to put it another way, if, if we're in the family of God, when people see us, they see our lives, they see our conduct, they see our heart, they see our service, when they see all of that, guess who they should see? Jesus. They should see Jesus in our lives. They should see Jesus. Now, we came to be part of God's family by something wonderful, something amazing, something worth beholding and intently focusing on, and John references it here in verse one. He says, see what great love the Father has given us. What great love. You know, if you lived in a first century Greek seaport town, on any particular day, you might be going about your business and then notice kind of like a commotion in the community and people starting to rush down towards the docks and whisper, you know, and, 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 and then you might would likely get caught up in it. What's going on? What's going down in the docks? And, and as you would rush down to the docks, you would hear people in excitement going, a ship is coming. A ship is coming, right? And everybody's like, what? A ship is coming. So they, they would hurry down to the docks and they would look out on the horizon at the approaching ship. And, 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 the whole point was by the configuration of the sails on the ship, you could tell if that was a ship from our, from our harbor or if it was a foreign vessel from, from a foreign port, from another place. And you would hear people asking in Greek, potapen? Potapen is what they would be calling out because that word in the Greek means of what country? Where is it from? What new people are coming to visit us? What new thing are we going to learn and see and experience? Potapen is a very unusual word, only used six times in the entire New Testament. And guess what word is used here for what great love has the Father given us? It was the same exact word used by the disciples when Jesus calmed the sea in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, right? The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Potapen. 
It's a word full of surprise and astonishment and urgency and excitement and wonder. And so what John is saying here is intently reflect upon what kind of amazing and wondrous love the Father has given us that he would call you and me his children. I think most of us are very familiar with ourselves, right? And I think uh, a lot of us have many, many days, times, seasons where we're like, I wouldn't call me a child of, (laughs) you know? I don't deserve to be called that. Wow, I've been living this way or doing this or making these decisions. and, And yet even in the midst of that, he says, you are my child. What great love. This, this love of God is wonderful. It's unique. It's awe-inspiring, largely because it's foreign. Right? It, it, it is indeed from another place. It's from heaven. It's from God himself. God's love is, is, is broad. It, it's, it's deep. It's marvelous. It's unimaginable. It's incomprehensible. It's boundless. It's measureless. This is how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. He goes, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love, which what? Surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's he saying there? He's like, look, my prayer for you is that you understand what can't be understood. God's love. That you would know the the scope of God's love. Like, trying to fully determine the extent that of God's love for you is like trying to measure the ocean with a teaspoon. Pretty impossible. Now, some of you, like me, would go, nah, give me enough time, I'll do it. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> or it's like trying to pull out a tape measure to determine how tall God is or how wide his reach is, right? You, you can't do it. It, 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 it goes all the way to the limit of our comprehension and keeps going. When I look at the cross, I see a love that shrinks from no sacrifice for me, for you. I see a love that is evoked by nothing from me or from you. It's a love without limit. It's a love that comes from the very depth of God's own infinite being. It's a love that'll never end. And John later on is gonna tell us God is a God of love and he's a God of love because that's who he is. He can't be otherwise. God is love and the love demonstrated on the cross for you and me cannot, will not, ever be extinguished by sinfulness to any degree. We cannot outsin the love that God has for us. That's what Paul said in Romans when he was talking about, you know, um, heaven forbid that we sin more to get more grace. 
But in that whole section, he talks about, you know, you, 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 you keep sinning and there's always more grace to cover it. You sin more, there's more grace. You sin more, there's more grace. You can't out-sin God's love. It doesn't mean there's not discipline and correction because we're his children. But he never stops loving us. You know, the picture someone described to me once is, is you know, me with a shovel, right? And, and, and I'm just like trying to heap sin into, into my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do wrong. And then God's over here with a pile of grace. And he's shoveling too, grace on top of my sin. But guess what, he has a bigger shovel. It's just, and he's always gonna have more grace. His love is boundless. And instead of the concept of his grace, his love for us possibly being extinguished by sinfulness, instead it pours out its treasures on the unworthy. It's like the sun shining on a trash heap. It doesn't matter that it's a trash heap, the sun is still shining upon it. Now, I mean that in the context of, of it's like, oh, trash, I'm not going to shine there. No, the sun shines. The light comes unceasingly. And so Christians, we should never cease to be amazed by the love that God has for us. It truly is a love that is foreign to us. It's a love that is foreign to this world. It is a love that is from a place that is not here but it is a love that we get to experience and it far exceeds anything that could possibly come from our world. John says this love has been given to us by the Father. Given to us. You know, he uses the word Father there, I think, strategically to emphasize this family relationship context that he's developing here. But when it says has been given, this word um, given, uh, the point is that God is the source. God is the source of this great love that we're to marvel at. God is the source. He is the originator of it. God loved first. We respond to that love. But this verb given also, the tense that it's used in means it's a gift that, that, that cannot be earned. It's a gift that cannot be bought. It's a gift that cannot be withdrawn. That's what this verb given means in the original language. It's a love that neither you or I deserve to have. We have not earned it. It's given to us by the one who loves us despite us. It's God reaching down to us. However unlovely we are in the midst of our sins, and he offers us this great love. Offers us this great love, and when we put our faith in the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, we are given this love and as John says, then called a child of God. And what's interesting, the word called there that John uses, um, it indicates being given a title of honor with all the privileges that come with it, right? So now we see that child of God and son of God, they kind of blend together a little bit too. Because when he says, you're my child, when he says, you bear the likeness, my name, you bear the characteristics, you've been born of me, all the privilege that comes with that, You've been given by God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the honor of bearing his name. We have the honor of bearing his likeness. And it's an undeserved honor that is bestowed upon us when his love caused us to be adopted into his family. Hallelujah. 
Now, in case anyone reading this is so overwhelmed by this unbelievable fact, John goes, and we are! Because if we're honest, we would read that verse and be like, hmm, nah, I don't deserve that. No, it was too much. And John has to close that with, I, I think John himself was overwhelmed as he was writing this. Just, just as he's getting through chapter one and chapter two and talking about he's coming back and we want to stand there in confidence and not in shame and just, just see what great love he has given us to call us his children. And then in that moment, maybe, and we are. Don't think we're not. Don't think it's a, a rhetorical thought. Don't think it's a, it's, it's a truth. It's a truth to build our lives upon. It's what God declares us to be. And it's an absolute truth for those who are in Christ. And it's a truth available to all who are not in Christ today. If you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, as your Father, today it is available to you to become his children to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, to have the guilt dealt with permanently for all time, to be set free from the power and control of sin, to be set free to live for God, to have a new, brand new spirit, your spirit born again, to be able to pursue what is good, what is righteous, what is holy. It's available to you today. All you gotta do is ask him for it. Say, God, I believe you. Forgive me, save my soul. And he will. To live well as a Christian, I think we have to really know who and what we are in Christ. No matter what challenges are facing you today, if you've put your faith in him, you're his child. You're in his family. And on top of that, being born into his family is a once for all time event. Once you're adopted, you're adopted. You can't be unadopted. You're in his family. We can never be disowned by God as a member of his family. Now, we may bring dishonor on his name at times. We do do that. And then in that relationship, then we experience the discipline of God, his chastisement, as a father disciplining his children. We may bring dishonor, but a child of God will never be disowned. Adoption into God's family gives us the name and the status as God's kids. Being born again gives us the nature and the characteristics of those who are God's kids. Being adopted into the family is the the legal act that places us within the family and qualifies us to, to, to receive the inheritance from our father. Regeneration is the spiritual birth that we receive in which we receive the nature of our father. And so much so in, in, in the second half of verse one, he goes, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. People who are not God's children do not know God. Don't recognize him as God. Don't recognize him as the father. He's foreign to them because they haven't received him yet. And they don't recognize us as children of God either. What do I mean by that? Well, they rejected Jesus the first time he came, and we live in a world today where they reject us now, don't they? We live in a world where it's getting even more and more difficult <laughs> to be a Christian, or at least to proclaim our Christianity. 
It's not that hard to be a Christian, just be one, but, but to proclaim that in your workplace. And that's been happening for decades. You can't say that here. You can't talk about that here. You can't bring that Bible here. Well, what about my coworker has their Quran on their desk? That's okay, but you can't bring the Bible here. Hmm? Oh, you're a, you're a, a Bible-believing business owner? Well, you can't have a business. We're gonna fine you into oblivion. You can't get government contracts. You can't, you can't, you can't. Why? Because you believe in Jesus Christ. This word know, when he says the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him, it's a variation of that Greek word gnosko. I've mentioned that a few times, right? Gnosko is a Greek word that means to know something by experience. Not just head knowledge, but by experience, right? It's one thing to know you should put your seatbelt on. It's entirely different once you've hit the windshield once to know you should put your seatbelt on. That was an experience I went through. You know, there's to know something by experience is this word gnosko, but here it's a variation of that word. It's gnoske. It means to, to get the meaning of something. The world does not get the meaning of who God is. They don't get the meaning of what he is. They don't get the meaning of why he does and did what he did. And because they don't get it, because they don't comprehend it, they don't get what it means or, or, or get why when we get saved and we act differently than before. They don't get it. What do you mean you don't want to do the drugs with me anymore? That's not who I am. They don't understand. What do you mean you don't want to go out and party with me like we used to? We just did it last weekend. Well, yeah, last weekend I was going to hell. <laughs> this, today I'm going to heaven. I don't understand. Maybe you're in a situation where you're in a, an adulterous relationship. And God gets into your life and, and you're like, I can't do this anymore. And the person you're cheating with, why? I'm married. What do you mean why? That never mattered before. Well, today it does and I can't do this anymore. I'm different. There's all manner of sins where God gets into our lives and he, and he, and he changes us. And the world does not understand it. The world does not know us because it didn't know him. They don't understand the meaning. When I got saved, the first two things that stopped in my life was cussing and rage. Those are the first two things that stopped in my life. I cussed like a sailor. Actually, sailors was like, dang, he cusses a lot. Right? It was just, that's, that was my life. Right? It was just a part of my vocabulary. Today, I'm very sensitive to it. I'm like, Ugh. you know? Um, but the other thing was rage. I just, when I was a teenager, I went from zero to 100 in anger real fast, right? My mom used to say that she would characterize me as Hulk smash because, because when, when I got mad, when things didn't go my way, I had this escalating rage I couldn't control where I would just start breaking and smashing more things simply out of anger, right? I got saved, that ceased, stopped. I've told this story before, right? I got saved, I was still in this punk rock band, we were playing a show in Hollywood. I had this very expensive custom drum kit that, that was my pride and joy, right? Every piece of the drum kit was custom made to match the tonality of it, right? You can't just go buy the other piece, right? It's like, it's one unit or not. 
driving home from a show one night, hit a bump on the freeway. I hear a noise in the back. I can't really see what's going on. I get home. The tailgate of my pickup truck had opened up, and all my drums had slid to the back of the truck. Right? The, the drum kit itself was, was insanely expensive. I saved up forever for it. And then on top of that, the pedals and the hardware and the cymbals and all the stuff that's in a drum kit. And the drum that sits over here, it's called a floor tom, was gone. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at all the stuff and, and I'm just like, <sighs> my mom walked out of the house and she's like, what happened? I'm like, my tailgate opened on the freeway and the floor tom's gone. Well, can't you just buy another one? No, Mom, it, I kind of would need to get a whole new kit for it to all be tonally matched, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I remember, I'll never forget it, she, like, eyes got wide, <laughs> started to shrink back a little. And uh, she goes, what are you going to do? And I remember I just shrugged my shoulders. I was like, eh. And the words that came out of her mouth were, who are you? And I was different. And I knew I was different. And then my mom knew I was different. Today she gets it. Why? Because today she knows God herself. She knows. She understands. But at the time, who are you? Who are you? The next thing in being a child of God continues from who we are to what we shall be. Look at verse two. He says, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That word revealed there means to become publicly disclosed and understood cognitively. It doesn't just mean you see it with your eyes. It means you see it, right? I see you. <laughs> I get it. John's been developing this concept of, of us via our salvation being made into God's children, right? We are, we are then given. We're granted his likeness and his characteristics, and, and, and our salvation means that, that, that we, are, we, we have the name and the likeness of God now, and, and, and if you go back into the previous two chapters of 1 John so far, you can see the context of that. It's meaning that, that we now have, through our born-again spirit, a desire to do what is right, a desire to obey him, a desire to live a life that, that glorifies his name, name. You know, we don't always choose the right thing, but we have within us now the, the desire. I want to obey God. Scripture talks about this thing called sanctification. Fancy uh, Bible word. Um, simply means to set something or someone apart for its intended use by its designer. It's often translated holiness, to be made holy, to become holy, it's this word sanctification. The idea is this, is when you use a pen to write, the pen has been sanctified. Why? Because you're using it for its intended purpose by its designer. So theologically, things are sanctified when they're used for the purpose that, God's, that God intends. When things are set apart and used for his purposes. Therefore, we are sanctified when our lives are lived according to God's design and God's purpose when we pursue and live in holiness. Now sanctification is different from another biblical word, justification. Justification is a one-time work of God. 
It's a work of God where we are declared legally not guilty. That's justification. That's the gavel hitting the thing. You are declared not guilty. Why? Because Jesus paid the fine. But God isn't just interested in declared not guilty, I declare you sons of God. He loves doing that, but he's also in the business of making us more like Jesus, conforming us into the image of Christ. And every day, the Bible tells us every day, God is at work in you and in me to, to, to create the mind of Christ within us. That we would think the way Jesus thought. That we would do things the way Jesus thought, right? The what would Jesus do movement, right? It's all about that. God is at work every day. He's at work to help us to learn to think like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to act like Jesus, or to put it another way, to make us holy. That's sanctification. It's a process that, that, that begins with our justification, and then it's a process that continues through our life. You know, it's, it's kind of biblically sanctification is like a three-step process. Um, it, it takes place in our past, in our present, and our future. And so the, the first stage of sanctification really is the, the part that takes place at the very beginning of our Christian life, right? At the very uh, beginning when we are justified, when we come to Jesus and say, God, I, I believe in you. I, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I submit my life to you. I yield to your lordship. We're justified, boom, declared not guilty. And then we are also sanctified in that moment. We are then set apart. It's that moment of the initial moral change. It's that moment of where we have a break from the power and love for sin. It's that moment where we can say, as, as Paul said in Romans six eleven, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's that moment. So we're justified. And then we're set apart. We're made holy by the blood of Christ. But then there's a progressive sanctification that takes place. And this is the second stage, and it requires a lifetime to complete. Right? He says, we are God's children now. That's what John just said. Dear, dear friends, we are God's children now. We are sanctified. And we are being sanctified. See, 2 Corinthians 3.18 put it this way. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the process of life here as a Christian is, is, we, is we grow in grace. We're being transformed formed into the same image of glory, which is the image of Jesus Christ, his likeness. We're changing to be more and more like Jesus every single day. Colossians 3.10 says you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Right, as we learn more and more about Jesus and we learn who he is and what he wants and we say, okay, God, that's what I want to do and that's who I want to be, we're being, we're being spiritually renewed according to his image or his likeness. But in Philippians 3.12, Paul said, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. We're sanctified. We're being sanctified. But we're not, not yet fully sanctified past, present, future. Paul pressed on, it says. We gotta be very careful as believers to not ever get to the point where we think I've, I've arrived. 
I'm holy. You are, all ho- you are holy through the blood of Christ, but, 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 but sin still dwells with you. Right? And that leads to the third and, and the final stage of sanctification, which occurs in the future. John says, what we will be has not yet been revealed. But then he goes on to say, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Okay, John, do we know it or do we not know it? <laughs> what, what are you getting at here? Well, he says, what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That phrase, like him, refers to being similar in characteristic. This is not teaching in any way, shape, or form that we somehow become gods. That we reach a certain level of heaven and get our own planet to then populate with our own spirit babies. That is a false gospel. It says we become like him. We will be like him, similar in characteristic. Well, to get an understanding of that, we go, what are the characteristics of Jesus in his glorified state, right? He is perfect, well, even here on earth too, perfectly sinless, without sin, without even the, the hint of it. This is, this is what's to come. He's glorified. He's in a glorified body. He's perfectly righteous. He's, he's, he's past, defeated, done with, even power, the temptation, the presence of sin, So then he goes on to say, when we appear before him, or we know that when he appears, we will be like him. So we know that in the future time when Jesus uh, arrives, when we appear before him, and this could be when we die and appear before him, or when he comes back and gets us, and we haven't physically died on this earth. When we appear before him, we're going to be like him in characteristic. We will be sinless. We will be morally perfect. We will be in a glorified body. And the reason is, is because when he comes back to get us and we're going with him into heaven, well, we have to be made perfect and without sin at that point because nothing unclean can enter into heaven. But the reality of that has not yet happened yet. His appearing is still future. However, John says we are God's children now. We have been gifted through his great love, a new nature. We have been gifted through his great love, a new nature, a nature that wants to do right, a nature that wants to pursue righteousness. But today, in the process of sanctification, prior to his appearing, that new nature coexists with the old one. And Paul dealt with this in Romans. Right, I got these two natures fighting against each other. I think I've quoted this in the last three studies, so maybe it's important, right? The one you feed is the one that's gonna win. Feed your spirit, your spirit's gonna win when the temptation comes. Feed your flesh, your flesh is gonna win when the temptation comes. But one day, the sanctification of the whole person, body, soul, and spirit will finally be complete. Philippians 3.21 talks about that we will have glorified bodies without sin. The Bible talks about that there'll be a time that there'll be no death, no decomposition of the body. We will be perfect, Right? Go all the way back to Genesis. You know, all indications is that Adam and Eve were supposed to live forever. But sin entered the world. Death entered the world and things started to decay. But one day when that sanctification process is complete, we'll be free from the influence of sin. We'll be free from the effect of sin. We'll be free from the very presence of sin. There won't be a battle anymore. There will be no old nature coexisting. We'll just be new nature. 
We'll have a purified character, perfectly purified character. Can't wait for that. But now, today, not yet. So being a child of God starts with what we are and continues with what we shall be. But the result of those two truths is what we should be. And to sum it up is to be good kids. Just be good kids, right? Look at verse three. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What hope? Well, it's that confident expectation, right? The hope that when he appears, we'll be like him. Contextually, you back that up to that hope when he appears, that, that we'll be able to stand there in confidence. That hope that, that I'm his kid, he's coming back for me. I know that's gonna happen. You know, Jesus is returning. Chapter two, verse 28 pointed out that he's returning. So our future destiny it, it, it helps us to know our present duty. If we're to be like Christ in heaven one day, and we know we will be, and we're his kids, well, then we should act like Christ now. And we should pursue having the mind of Christ, and we should pursue living like Christ. And, and you know, that, and that's why he came um, to, to, to live and to die for us, but to also he gave us his example. This is, this is the type of person God wants us to be. If we bear his name and we bear his likeness and we bear his character now, although it's in coexistence currently with our old nature, then we should be people who, who choose obedience. We choose to live that new nature we have, that one that's gonna honor and glorify our Father, to choose obedience, to choose to walk in the light, to choose love, to be people who proclaim that in, in both word and deed. If we believe he will return and we don't want to be ashamed when he does, then the goal of our lives should be to live like Jesus, to be like him. Or as John puts it, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. It's a calling that we're enabled to fulfill through the power of God to be holy in, in, in character and conduct. Sometimes there's, there's in, I mean, many of us might, we try to be holy in conduct and think that makes up for lack of holiness in character. Well, Jesus called those people whitewashed tombs. <laughs> Who we are, what we will be, leads to what we should be today until he returns. And if we're indeed saved, if we've indeed been adopted into his family and granted his likeness and granted his characteristic and given this new nature, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, you'll want to do that. You'll want to do that. So choose it. Just choose it. You know, I don't know if it was the context of this study, but the last four days of my life have been some of the most intense, spiritual, sinful temptation of my life. And I was just like, See what great love the Father has given me that I should be called a child of God, and I am. God help me. And, and I'm positive it was because of the study. But still, it's just like, it's like God, I'm your child. I don't want to dishonor you. I don't want to live in a way that brings shame to your name. Help me. In the last four days, the temptations have come, and then, oh, no, God help me, and temptations wane. Like, praise God. Praise God that I'm his child. 
praise God that, 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 that I have within me now what I need to, to pursue that holiness that he has set me apart for. I know I'm not perfect. God knows I'm not perfect. He tells me I'm not perfect and says, confess, repent, come back to me. Let's get back up. Let's keep going. Let's keep trying. Keep choosing me. Keep choosing me every moment, every day. We'll get there. One day, temptations are going to be gone. But not yet. Choose me now. Remember that second stage of sanctification? That's the life that we live now. We have a role in that process, by the way. The, a role is, our role is both passive and active. Passively, our role in sanctification is just to trust God, to sanctify us, to rely on him, right? We present our bodies to God. We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We trust that he has set us apart to be his children, and, and we believe that it is his will to sanctify us, right? First Thessalonians 4.3, it says, for this is God's will, your sanctification. Can't be much clearer than that. God wants my life. God wants your life as his child to be sanctified. But then there's an active part because we are responsible to choose to do what is right. 1 Thessalonians 4.4 in the ISV translation says, each of you must know how to control his own body in a holy and honorable manner. That involves putting to death what belongs to our earthly nature, according to Colossians 3.5. That involves pursuing holiness, according to Hebrews 12.14. That involves fleeing sexual immorality, according to 1 Corinthians 6.18. It's cleansing ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, according to 2 Corinthians 7.1. It's making every effort, according to 2 Peter 1.5, to add to our faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control endurance, and endurance godliness, and godliness brotherly affection, and brotherly, brotherly affection love. Both the passive and active roles in our sanctification, I believe, are critically necessary for a healthy, godly Christian life. They're important for us to be able to live as good kids. If we overemphasize the passive role, oh, just trust God, just trust God, that leads to spiritual laziness and a neglect of spiritual discipline. I don't need to read, I don't need to pray, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to, I don't, just God's gonna do it. Well, how's that going for you? But if we overemphasize the active role, well, that leads to legalism and pride and self-righteousness. There, there's gotta be a balance. There's a balance as we pursue holiness and purify ourselves, as John says. Purifying ourselves is not, okay, God, stay out of the equation. I'm going to do it. Purifying ourselves is, is leaning on God's empowerment to do what he's calling us to do and as he directs because he says our hope is in him. Our hope is in him and only him, nothing else. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our pastor. Our hope is not in our spouse. Our hope is not in our friends. Our hope is in him, Jesus and Jesus alone. And the end result, I believe, is a consistent, mature Christian life that faithfully reflects the nature of your dad. So I just want to close with this story real quick. There's a story I read about a teenage girl who was out with friends, and this group of friends made a decision to, to go to a particular place and to do things that she was uncomfortable doing. And so after just a few, few seconds of hesitation, this, this young lady spoke out and she said, you know, as a matter of fact, I think I wanna be taken home. Can you guys just take me home? And her friends started to laugh at her and 
make fun of her, and one of the guys that was there with her said, why don't you want to go with us? Are you afraid your dad's going to hurt you if he finds out? And this young lady responded, and she goes, no, I'm afraid if I go and do whatever you guys want to do there, I will hurt my father. It's not that we're afraid that God will hurt us when we sin, but in the light of the overwhelming love that he has bestowed upon us, to call us his children, in light of the fact that he didn't just pay our fine and, 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 and say, okay, hey, your fine's paid, but then he adopted us to be part of his family, in light of the fact that he didn't just unshackle us from the power and control of sins in our life, our sin in our lives, but instead gave us literally a new nature, his nature, a new heart, a born-again spirit, his very likeness that possesses the, the desire to do good and to live righteously and to honor him and to love unselfishly. In light of all of that, and the promise that he is returning one day and we will be like him. That one day, even the lure and the temptation of sin will be gone from us completely. In light of all of that, we don't live afraid that God will hurt us if we sin. Instead, we live saying, I love him so much, I don't want to hurt him by doing so. I don't want to hurt him by, by giving in to sin and disobedience. We are God's children now, John says. We are not yet what we will be when he returns. Glorified. Sinless. Perfectly righteous. But until then, our hope is in him. An expectation of his return. And let us let that motivate us to pure lives. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. And I just pray, God, the truth that we are your children. The understanding of the, the expression of love from you that made that a reality. The knowledge and the truth that you're coming back for us. All of that, Lord, let it, let it motivate us today to live lives that glorify your name. God, we are being transformed day by day into your image from glory to glory, God. We continue to, to ask that you would do that work in our lives, that we would become more and more like you every day, to treat one another the way you would treat us every day, to speak to one another the way you would speak to us, Lord, to love one another the way you love us. To interact with the world around us the way you interacted with the world, Lord, all of it. God, we are, and if we're not, we should be so humbled by this great foreign love that is beyond our understanding, that is available to us to not just be legally declared not guilty and legally declared adopted, but God, to bear your very name and your very likeness and the very characteristic of who you are in our lives through this new nature you have given us. So God, help us to live for you. Help us to have that attitude where it's not that we're afraid you're gonna be mad at us and hurt us if we sin, but quite the opposite, Lord, that we don't wanna hurt you. And it's not about a guilt trip, Lord. It's just about the relationship that we, your children, have with you, our Father. We love you. 
Encourage us, Lord. Speak to us, pick us up, dust us off, and help us to understand what is impossible to understand, the length and the width and the height and the depth of your great love for us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.